technical difficulties. All right. Thank We're you back. very much. Thank you, and welcome to The Uncertainty Principle presents Science After Dark, a science talk show. It's Thank really, you for coming. It's a really good thing I got the second half of the banner up, or you only would have seen The Uncertainty Principle and not the subtitle. <laughs> We'd like to begin the show by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today, the uh, Noongar people of the Wajuk Nation, and pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We respect the deep and long-standing scientific knowledge traditions that indigenous have us Australians have had for many thousands of years. So, thank you so much for being here tonight. I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Taryn Lobenstein. And I'm your other co-host, Dr. Ben McAllister. I'm a physicist. And I'm a marine biologist. Hmm. And together, we are the duo behind The Uncertainty Principle, which is a science comedy show that we've actually run a couple times here at Fringe before. Do we have any... Uh, multiple time viewers. Repeat guests. Hey! We do! Oh, at least a couple. I didn't think that was going to happen. Yeah, that's, that's great exciting. news. <laughs> well, um, what is more exciting is that we have a brand new exciting show for you uh, this year. And the reason that we have a new show for you yeah. is that our show's just like a little bit cursed. Yeah, there seems to be some kind of <laughs> biblical plague series that yeah. is uh, being visited upon us. So yeah, we've so changed the <laughs> format because we're agile and we're keeping it fresh and we're bringing you that new show this year. So the story of, of why our show is cursed is that Ben and I met back in 2018 at a science communication competition called FameLab. Uh, we had a great time. Neither of us won that competition, so temper but your expectations. we had the most fun, okay? We had a great time. You know, participation awards all around. Um, but we hit it off, and we decided that we wanted to do our own science comedy podcast. And for reasons that, in retrospect, I still fully don't understand, we decided that rather than like doing the normal podcast thing, mm. where you just like go in a room by yourself and record it, and, and that's it, and you just put it out into the world... Come on in. We decided that rather than doing the normal sane thing, that we would premiere our podcast live at Perth Fringe World in 2019, which that's a, that was a bonkers thing for us to do. Yeah, and it, was go it went really well, except for the beginning of the Tup Curse, which did begin that year when Taryn, who was in Townsville at the time, almost couldn't make it because her house and the rest of the town flooded. So Plague One floods in Townsville. Yeah. The airport shut down. Like, the day before the show, Taryn's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get on my plane. They've cancelled every flight out of Townsville. And we're sitting here like, cool, we've sold all the tickets. Uh, what are we going to do? I guess I'll just get up and juggle for like an hour or something. So that's curse number one. But but I was able to get here, and we pulled it off. So the following year, we were like, surely nothing will happen. Nothing can go wrong. I mean, it's so dry. There's not going to be more <laughs> floods. This is, uh, yeah. And, and by that time, I was living in Canberra. So... In the summer of 2020, there were bushfires in Canberra that, that shut down the airport. <laughs> remember that, yeah, that remember fall that? when there were bushfires? Yeah. <laughs> so, again, the airport was closed, and they closed off all of the roads leading out of Canberra. Um, but in the nick of time, they opened the airport again, and I was able to get here. So then we come to 2021. Yeah, what happened this year, Tara? <laughs> But the good news is, we had warning this time. We knew for a long time that it might be very difficult for me to get myself to WA. So we decided then, rather than fly by the seat of our pants for the third year running, <laughs> that we would actually come up with a contingency plan. And so we decided to focus the show not on 
listening to me and Ben talk the entire time, but rather spending some more time with the amazing scientists that are right here in your backyard in Perth. And so that is the birth of the Uncertainty Principle Presents Science After Dark, a science talk show. We're going to have some cool scientist guests on. We've got two guests per night. We're going to talk to them about their work, their journey in science. We've got... Because it's kind of like a more intimate, small show. You know, it's casual, it's chill, it's whatever. There's like an opportunity or two throughout the show for you guys to ask questions of the panel of expert guests before you. And then we're going to play a very fun and funky game called Survival of the Fittest at the end of the show. Where, well, what happens there, Taryn? Well, how it works is we take our scientific prowess and we put it against our two guests and against you guys. So yeah. And for the record, like, we yeah. usually lose we this game. We have never not lost this game in the, yeah, now two seasons of Fringe that it's we've done. It's getting a so little embarrassing. Yes, it is indeed. So we shall see whether we can break our duck tonight. I mean, I really hope so. We're, we, need to, we need to step up our game. Mm-hmm. But before that, I think it's time for us to hear from our first guest. Yeah, I'd so say it is. She is a doctor of bees. Mm-hmm. She's a fellow Fame Lab uh, alumni, finalist. Alumnus, yeah. Alumna. Alumna. Yeah, okay. And she's even written a book about bees. So can we please welcome to the stage Dr. Kit Prendergast. Oh, Kit. So, Kit, what do you study? (laughs) You couldn't possibly see from the outfit. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, this This, is fantastic. This is wonderful. Thanks for coming in theme. Thank you. Well, this um, outfit was actually made for me um, by Fringe Festival two years ago. So if you came to Fringe two years ago, the theme was native bees because I don't just study bees. I study native bees and they're a bit on the fringe. So, Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, are we in it for an evening of bee puns? I hope oh, so. Oh, yeah. There'll be some yeah. sweet bee puns. That's usually my job. <laughs> you will be off. buzzing. Well, it looks wonderful and we're so glad you're ready with your theme for tonight. So can you tell us a bit more about your research? What is it that you study about bees? So I study the native bees or the indigenous bees to Australia. So most people, when they think of bees, they think of European honeybees. But these are an introduced species. Um, You know, Europeans, they just love colonizing everything. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. Yeah, wow. So... I'm not studying those bees specifically, except how they have negative impacts on the native bees. Um, So I'm studying our Australian bees, of which there are approximately 2,000 species. Wow. Just in Australia? In Australia, um, in the world, there's probably over 20,000. Oh, wow. Hey, I heard a rumor, and I have no idea whether this is just one of those things people say, that like Australian bees, native Australian bees don't sting, which seems so fucking contrary to everything else in the country, (laughs) that we would be like, Australia, but the bees don't sting you. Just every other living thing. Well, some of them don't. Um, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So every time I have an interview because I'm an ecologist, like, every question is like, well, it depends. Um, so mm. it depends. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> is that going to be tonight? Um, yeah. All right, great. So we've Are we going to get that in the quiz at the end? When Nuala's like, is the thing this or this? She'll be like, it depends. It depends. <laughs> um, so we love nuance. We live for it. We do have some stingless bees. Um, these are also known as sugar bag bees. They're um, in the tribe Meloponini. That is a sexy name for a bee. Sugar bag <laughs> bee. Sugar bag I, bees. I like yeah. <laughs> so they um, they make honey. Most bees don't make honey. Really? Yeah. 
What? Then what are they doing? What are they good for? <laughs> Bees. What are they good for? Wow. Um, I had I had an Uber ride once, and the Uber driver asked me that. And I just gave him this really like long, hard stare, but I won't give it to you. Because, Thank you. Uh, you invited me on the show tonight. So um, they pollinate stuff, but not all of them do. It depends. What does that mean? <laughs> they pollinate. Um, so they they go to flowers and. Um, the females want to get pollen to feed their babies as well as nectar. Mm-hmm. And in the process, pollen gets dusted off onto the bodies. When they go to another um, flower, then the pollen gets transferred. So um, basically, they allow plants to have sex. Cool. That's a cool job. Yeah. <laughs> Flying around helping plants have sex. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what is it about these bees specifically that you study, the Australian native bees? So my research has focused on bees in urban areas um, because lots Those of research... the worst kind <laughs> as, far as, as far as I am a human being am concerned. <laughs> Yeah, so people usually think of urban areas as for people and then the rest of the world is for wildlife. But um, there's not much um, rest of the world for wildlife left. Mm. Um, So we really need to focus on how we can make our cities more, like, suitable for our, our wildlife. And bees are just, like, so important because they pollinate things well. Most of them do. Not all of them do. There are there's some that don't. But the bees that do pollinate stuff, they're really important for that. Um, and I also think bees are just like, they're so diverse. They've got so many different like behaviours and ecologies. They can be like indicator species that tell you how healthy an environment is. Um, and I also think they're like really, really cute. So we just can't afford to have them go extinct because they're, they're cute. And, yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, that, that brings up something I've been meaning to ask because I feel like this idea that like the bees are all dying and that's a big problem is something that's been like in the kind of cultural, I don't know, consensus for a while. Mm. But can we like, how fucked are the bees? And, <laughs> and how fucked are we without the bees? Can we, can we quantify those two things? Yeah, so I'll give you like, a, a scale of like fuckability. <laughs> so when we ten t- out of ten <laughs> with honeybees. Okay, honeybees, they are not going extinct. They are one of the last species that will go extinct. Um, you know, we, we hear of like insect apocalypses and and things aren't good for insects. But honeybees, they are present in every single country except Antarctica. So they're very widespread. They're very abundant. They're super generous. They can forage on lots of things. So they aren't going to go extinct. But our native bees, so I've been, um, over the past few weeks, I've been looking to list our native bees on the IUCN red list because we have 2,000 species of native bees. Some of them are so specialised they will only forage on plants in a single genus. So this is a very narrow range. It's like you only being able to eat apples and if there's no apples you're going to die are you saying i should be eating something other than apples (laughs) (laughs) i mean if you're going to eat just something like apples is probably a pretty good thing um but if you want to eat apples you need to save the bees though so (laughs) answering the second part of my question how fucked are we without the bees (laughs) yeah so um we are fucked, but we're also not going to go extinct ourselves. Um, so, like, I love bees, and I think bees need to be saved more than anyone else, but I also think we need to tell the story how it is in that if bees went extinct, I would be really, really sad, and I would be out of my job, which would probably be the worst thing. But <laughs> um, the 
like we there's there's other pollinators besides bees. Um, so there's um, bats, like you know fruit bats. There's Not a lot of bad birds. press this year did bats. Yeah, bats. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> but we need bats, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we're, we're kind of fucked without the bees, and some of the bees are fucked, and some of them aren't so fucked. I feel like I have a clearer picture of that now. It depends. It, de- it, it depends. depends. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, so I understand you go by the Bee Babette. Is yeah. that right? Tell, tell us about that. So that was the, the stage name that um, I created for my fringe show. So what happened was I was giving a, a presentation at, for Friends of Lake Claremont. Uh, about two years ago and the head of Fringe happened to be there and um, he saw me giving the presentation. He was like, bees are really fringy, the native bees. We want to make them a theme. Um, and I was like, that's super cool. Like, um, send me through your ideas. I'd love to see them. And he sent me through the ideas and I was like, okay, um, this is supposed to be WA-based, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, these bees actually aren't WA-based. Um, and then it was like, yeah, so <laughs> I, I was like, how about I, I suggest some ideas? And so we got together um, and um, created some, some ideas and, like, n- there was a cartoonist and they had, like, posters of the native bees up. And then he was like, do you want to do something else? And I, I love performing, right? Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure. And I, I love bee photography. So what happened was I had some, like, photographs of of my native bees up in the pleasure garden and then um i did like a tour of these photographs and like talked about the bees and their behaviors and stuff dressed in this outfit and i didn't really (laughs) um like ask who my target audience was they were kids. Cool. They were yeah, all very like cool. five years old Love and four years that out old. At the gig. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. we and would be like, in a lot of trouble yeah, if out, we had a bunch of five-year-olds here tonight. Throw out this list of jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna make jokes of like about penises. <laughs> <laughs> Genius. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to go down well with the parents. Cool. So. Well, thanks for saving it for us. Yeah, you can yeah. save Venus as much as you like tonight. Venus. <laughs> yeah. So cool. can awesome. I ask, with your photography, do you get stung a lot when you're taking Fuck. pictures of bees? Um, not that- taking pictures. And our native bees are like, even the ones that can sting are super docile. Um, but I don't just take photos. Um, I have to catch them because lots of our native bees are less than a centimetre long. We've got ones that are two millimetres long, so absolutely tiny. Um, So, you know, tiny bees, 2,000 species, flying around up high, trying to ID them just by looking at them is is pretty much impossible. So I have to catch them. Um, And the tiny ones don't sting. Um, The bigger ones can sting. It doesn't sting that much. I have been stung numerous times. But the honeybees, like, fuck, they pat pack a like massive punch and i've been stung um above the eye um the other day i got stung on my stomach it got under my my shirt um i don't know they just 
Honeybees don't like me and I don't like them. Yeah, I mean, the idea yeah. that our bees aren't aggressive sounds like bullshit to me because, like, <laughs> two weeks ago I was in Pemberton and I got stung by two discreet bees within five minutes and prior to that moment I hadn't been stung by a bee in two full decades. It'd be a honeybee. Like, what the fuck, yeah? Honey Definitely bees? a honeybee, yeah. Two bees. Mm. What was I doing wrong? Um, I they just existed. They just yeah. didn't like your face. They just <laughs> I think that's, that's the moral of today. Honeybees are dicks. Yeah. All right. So has your research taken you anywhere cool when you're traveling around studying bees? Or yeah. Well, my, like, my PhD research has taken me around the suburbs. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Excellent. That's fun. Uh, but we, we have like some amazing patches of bushland in Western Australia. And that's what my research is like showing. We, we have to conserve the patches of bushland in the city. Like your garden can make a difference, but without these patches of bushland, the bees are fucked. So keep the bushland, no, no row eight and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of obvious, but it's good to have like the yeah, science. The science. Fucking science. Yeah. Yes. That's what we're all about. Yeah. <laughs> but like in addition um, to my like PhD stuff, I, I had some diversions, mm-hmm. um, including going up to Carnarvon to study um, Amagilla dorsoni, which is one of our biggest native bees. And they're... Yeah, I know what Amagilla dorsoni is. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to tell me. Well, I'm actually a bit disappointed that you don't because it was featured on a David Attenborough documentary. So, oh, the man. Um, the yeah, the, the man. <laughs> yeah, so it's a funky bee. Like David Amber thinks it's cool, so clearly it's very cool. That is cool. Yeah, yeah. So I took a road trip up to Carnarvon, um, met some um, like famous bee researchers from Arizona, helped them study the bees, and are studying um, their ability to sonicate flowers, which means like. Um, buzz the flowers at a particular frequency to release the pollen and honeybees can't do this so these bees are really important for that but also what? study their mating that's habits that's amazing wait you're saying that they like hum at a certain frequency yes. that no other bee can do um, well honeybees can't the secret screw frequency. honeybees <laughs> I'm all about the natives right now yes <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So um, you went up there to study that as well as something else? Their mating habits. Ooh. Their sex. The Venuses. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I got to use it too. We, it was <laughs> 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 um, and so we we needed to like film them as well. So <laughs> we were making like... <laughs> we were making slow motion videos oh, of wow. bees having sex. And we also needed to record the sounds of them and it you was really to? hey 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 we Georgia can we get some mood lighting for this yeah um and it was oh, really oh, good oh, Georgia everybody Georgia, Georgia in the yeah with the lighting <laughs> thank you amazing uh, okay cool sorry um quickly before we uh, start to move on tell us the coolest weirdest or scariest thing about bees that like most people wouldn't know. I feel like I've told quite a few cool, weird yeah. stuff, yeah. but um, well, yeah. so honeybees, um, like keeping with this theme. Yeah, well, the Venus lighting is already on, them. so go um, on. <laughs> it's unfortunately not the, the most romantic sex story you'll, you'll ever no. hear. Oh. Um, so honeybees... Georgia. Um, <laughs> 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 when the males mate... They ejaculate so hard that their penis blows off and they die. Oh, boy. Wow. (laughs) Do they survive that? No. um, No. It's 
in the literature. It's called suicidal sex. Wow. Nice. There's a term for it in the literature. But, I mean, if you're going to die, that's probably a pretty good way to die. Yeah, it's true. Out with a bang, truly. <laughs> wow. Wow. Taryn, wow. Out with that's a bang. <laughs> but it's only honeybees, so our native bees get to, like, keep on fucking. Yeah, nice. good okay. for them. Fantastic. Good for them. Go with yeah. the native bees. Fuck yourselves, your lives away. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, I think it's possibly time for some audience questions. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Georgia, can we get some house lights, please, for these beautiful people? Does anybody have a question for the bee babette? You just got to yell or, or, real or loud. Hands, hands yeah. up, hands up. Yeah, Sorry, I, I saw two. somebody way in the back. I see three, in fact. Okay, so in the middle here. No, no, in the back. Okay, well, we'll get to them. We'll get to them. <laughs> she Sorry. was first. I'm just gonna, just gonna repeat, just gonna repeat that. Are there honeybee swarms? Do they hang out together in big groups? Just. Uh, um. So most of our native bees are actually solitary. So they don't. Um. They're pretty asocial. They don't live together. Each female, you know, with honeybees, there's like a queen, and she lives in the colony, and her daughters are workers and nurse bees and foragers. With the native bees, the female has to do all the work. She goes and collects nectar and pollen, and then she builds a nest. It will be in the ground or a little, a little hole in wood, um, and then she puts the nectar and pollen in there, lays an egg on it, um, and then she doesn't keep on looking after her baby. She doesn't go back. The baby never sees its mum. Oh, sad music. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> um, but uh, so there's there are gradations of sociality. So most of them are solitary, but then we've got some that are semi-social um, and they sort of share a nesting burrow, but they look after their offspring. And then we've got the exonura, which are semi-social, um, grading onto that um, eusociality where they live together in colonies of like two to ten and look after their offspring. Wow. There you have it. Sometime, it's a whole range. It, it depends. It depends. It depends. <laughs> Further questions. Further questions. Uh, think the middle here, and then we'll get to you in a minute, sir. Hey, uh, not a scientist, but uh, I'm an architect. What? <laughs> what are get you out. doing here? This show's for scientists. And everyone else is a scientist, right? Get out of here if you're not. The door's over there. Well, Sorry, go on. I actually have an arts degree as well. Oh, yes. yeah. Mm. Hey, that's fine. That's cool, even. <laughs> um, all right, sorry. What, what was the question? I'm sorry. You talk about how your PhD is in you know, promoting bees in an urban environment. I'm not against. So what can I do with my job rather than just being like, plain tree, plain tree, plain tree? Okay. All right, the question is, what can an architect do to promote urban bees other than planting trees? Lots, actually, So, (laughs) which is great. Um, So firstly, as I mentioned before, um, the majority of bees actually nest in the ground. So try and not put pavement over everything. Mm. Um, And um, (laughs) also the, the rest of them, like, nest in little holes, um, as I mentioned, in trees created by wood-boring beetles. So firstly, keep the trees and plant more trees. Um, I think that's, like, in general for biodiversity, um, plant trees, keep trees. But you can also make what are called bee hotels. And um, Wait, what? I mean, <laughs> what is a bee hotel? And can they be rented by the hour? And can I go? <laughs> so um, they're basically structures that the cavity nesting bees use to nest in. So they could be called like bee nurseries, but bee hotel sounds way cooler. Um, and in the literature, they're called trap nests. 
which is really savoring, boring, (laughs) yeah. So bee hotels and um, they do work. Um, So you just drill holes in wood, place them about 1.5 centimetres or use bamboo. But the diameters are really important. They have to be between um, 2 millimetres and 10 millimetres in diameter, at least 10 centimetres long. Um, The Bunnings ones aren't very good because the dimensions are wrong and um, I had a bit of a... Uh, a go at them, I guess. Did you get in a fight <laughs> with Bunnings? A Twitter beef with Bunnings. Ooh. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, one more question quickly, and then we're going to move on. Um, are there any native bees that could be used for honey as like a substitute for the European honey Are there any native bees that could be used for honey as a substitute to the honeybee? So those um, stingless bees actually produce honey. So um, tying in those questions... Like the easiest um, to get honey. They make yes. it and they don't even sting? But they only make um, a very small amount, like a jar a year compared with kilos and kilos. Um, and honey is, is a result of eusociality. So when bees live in colonies, they need like surplus nectar um, when there's bad time. So honey is like surplus nectar that's stored in the hive. So that's why solitary bees don't make honey. But yeah, the good news is that we do have bees that make honey. The bad news is that there's none in southwest Western Australia. Oh. Yeah, but they're, they're a really big thing um, over on the East Coast, the sugar bag bees, because they don't, you know, they don't sting. It's much nicer. Yeah, so um, there's like companies that um, keep the bees... You, you can keep them like honeybees. Lots of people even keep them sort of like as pets. Um, they're used in um, pollination services, especially macadamia. Um, and then, of course, the honey, which is – it can sell for like – because it's like a niche market because they produce a small amount. It's rare. I think they can sell for like $200. Woof. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> Apparently. Same. Yeah. Very, what are we doing? Very cool. Okay. Um, it does. It's um, it's more runny because it's got a high water content. So what is interesting is that it's you know it is honey, but by like Australian standards, it's not classified as honey, but it's honey. Um, <laughs> it's got a six percent more water than honey bee honey, and uh, it's got a high acidity com- content. So it tastes more like citrusy, and it's got recently last years um, some other scientists found it has a unique sugar. Um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it because I'm going to sound stupid, but it starts with T. Um, like Google Unique Honey. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to try it. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I'm getting the feeling uh, that Kit could keep talking about bees for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. But we've got more science to learn about, friends. We've got to keep this train rolling. Can we lose the house lights, please, Georgia? And can we get our next guest, Cheyenne Chatterjee, to the stage, please? And we'll keep you up here, Kit. In- Fantastic. Hello. 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 Welcome. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks for inviting me. So we are so excited to have you here tonight. Can you please tell us a bit about your research? Yeah, so I work on something called gravitational waves. And now to explain what gravitational waves are. Yes, good. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, I need to take a step back and explain what gravity is. Yeah. Okay. Now, well, everyone has heard about gravity. So in high school, we have learned that Sir Isaac Newton found discovered gravity. It's a force that exists between. I heard two. he invented gravity. Ah, <laughs> uh, I, I think that's not very accurate. Okay, no, no, right, no, fair no, enough. Yeah. I thought before that everyone was just floating around, and then he was like, yeah. 
And then he just like was... threw an apple and yeah. it was like, gravity, exactly. get used to it. Exactly. The guy who threw the apple knew what he was doing. <laughs> okay, cool. So, so actually, so we know that from high school physics, we know that gravity is a force between two objects that have mass. But actually, that is not the correct description of gravity because there are some observations which cannot be explained if we consider gravity to be a force. Now, in comes a person who looks more nerdy than me. His name is <laughs> Albert Einstein. You might have heard of him. So, yeah, I know the guy. Big hair. Yeah. Sticks yeah. his tongue out in that picture. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So he described gravity as the manifestation of the curvature of space-time. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, I so, understand what that means. Sound, sounds like the title of a really good album, like a real indie right. album. Like. Maybe it can be the tagline of the next. Yeah, yeah that would be a great tagline. Yeah. Yeah. What was it again? Manifestation of the curvature of space-time. Space-time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what it means is, so space and time are now no longer two distinct entities, but rather they are interconnected, or if I am allowed to use an analogy, it's a, they're interwoven like a fabric, which is called space-time. Space-time. That's yeah. pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. Everyone's on board with that. Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. living in a big fabric that's knitted out of space and time. Uh, okay, space and what's time. so okay. difficult? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Doors over there. And what's, <laughs> <laughs> what's even easier to imagine is what is gravity in this context, because gravity is just mass bending space-time. So if this cloth here, if uh -huh. this banner here is space-time... Well, then we're in trouble because it did fall down <laughs> half an hour Oh, right, ago, right, because that was yeah. gravity. Yeah, that oh, was, wow. Yeah, oh. that was mass acting on this piece of cloth and bending it around itself. Okay. So gravity is basically the manifestation of, the, of how a mass curves space-time, curves the fabric of space-time around itself. So we live in a big fabric and anything that's heavy, like, dents it and pulls it around. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So now imagine two very heavy objects, two compact, heavy compact objects like two black holes. I'm sure you have heard of black holes. Oh, yeah. I just saw one yesterday. It was beautiful. Oh, right, right. Okay. You, you should show one to me as well because I just have seen one picture. I haven't seen one in person, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, so if you imagine those two, did you see one black hole or two black holes? <laughs> because you have already seen, you have already seen what I work on. You've already seen gravitational waves. Yeah, you, might have. you know, now that I think back, it may have just been like a puddle in oh, on the pavement, okay, but okay. like it close, could have been a black close. hole. Yeah. yeah, close. Yeah, it is a black hole though. Yeah, <laughs> a different kind. Uh, right. So if you imagine two black holes orbiting around each other at very high speed, they create ripples in the fabric of space-time, okay. all right? So just like if you have two heavy objects in a stressed piece of cloth and they move around hey, just each uh, other. Eat that mic for me, bud. Just keep, keep the mic yeah. up, sorry. So <laughs> if you have, sorry, uh, if you have those two heavy objects which are rotating around each other over a piece of cloth, it'll create ripples on the piece of cloth. Same uh, with gravitational waves. So these, these two black holes, when they orbit around each other, they create these ripples in space-time, and these ripples are called gravitational waves. Now, what's interesting about gravitational waves is that they give us a sense of sound, because uh, until now, until very recently, rather, astronomers have only been using light and uh, some high energetic particles to understand how the universe works. But this is the first time we have a sense of sound to complete the picture of the story of the universe. Because 
you know, just like sound is a propagating disturbance in a medium, right? Yeah, right. So like me making noise now, it's vibrating these speakers, they're vibrating the air, your yeah. ears are picking up those vibrations, and that's sound, that's as opposed sound. to the light coming out of the lights that's bouncing off us and going into your eyes so you can see. Exactly. So Ben's also a physicist. Yes, but yes. gravity <laughs> waves is not my thing, right? But like, yeah, I mean, here on Earth, like as yeah. humans, we have light and sound, and we can, we can see all that. But in space, right. you're saying until recently. We were, until recently, we were just observing things because of light. But now, these uh, gravitational waves, they are like the sound of that cataclysmic crash between the two black holes. And this that is... intense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so these ripples or these, these sounds of the crashing black holes, they are uh, gravitational waves. And my research uh, is on using, here comes another uh, technical term, mm. machine learning or artificial oh. intelligence. Oh. That is a sexy term, I feel like, <laughs> these days. Everyone's talking about Everyone's AI, talking about machine it, yeah. learning. You should go to Silicon Valley and be like, I'll have my money, please. <laughs> what, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. I should be there, right? We're all in the wrong We're business. All, we we should be all in the wrong business. and machine learning. Making learners. native honey <laughs> and working on machine learning. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> So my job is to use uh, machine learning to uh, analyze the data from these gravitational wave signals and find out different uh, information about the black holes that actually emit these gravitational waves. Wow. So yeah, yeah. so there's uh, Roshan here and Damon back there who actually work in the same areas. We have some of your so, lab mates here. Yeah, oh, I mean cool. Damon oh, is my lab so mate. Nice. Uh, Roshan hey. works yeah. in a different group, but we Shout are all gravitational wave people here. I love that. Well, thanks for buying tickets. Um, <laughs> cool. Okay, so you're like doing like, if I may make an analogy, you're doing yeah. like digital signal processing to increase like how well we can extract information from the sound waves that the universe is sen sending us. Absolutely. We are trying to so. First of all, these, the sound that is reaching us, it's quite faint because these gravitational waves, they travel for billions and billions of light years. And uh, during that journey, they become much fainter than they were when they were initially emitted. So when they reach us, they are so faint that, so these gravitational waves, the effect that it has in matter is it stretches and squeezes space. But when they reach Earth, they are so faint that they only stretch and squeeze us by like a 100, uh, a fraction, a very small fraction, maybe one by 100 times the diameter of a proton, which is extremely, extremely tiny. Cool. Wow. So, yeah. like, so that's but, really hard to measure. Then. Exactly. But yeah. we are being stretched and squished as these like waves from deep space, from big collisions of heavy shit. They like send ripples through space. They come to Earth and our bodies are like, woo. Exactly. Right. exactly. But, but like only by that a tiny, tiny Ooh. fraction. Yeah, wow. Shoot. Yeah. And so you detect that and then you extract information about the thing that created the waves. Yeah. So we, we find out, like I in particular am uh, trying to find out the direction in the sky, these gravitational waves are coming from. And that then, seems important. Yeah, because, well, it is important for different reasons. First of all, it would give us uh, information about the kind of, uh, you know, the galaxies these uh, gravitational waves are produced in. So that would give us some information about uh, how these black holes formed in the first place. But then there are some uh, interesting objects called neutron stars, which are, <laughs> which are like black holes, but... Yeah. <laughs> But Another kind of spooky deep space thing that we yes. don't know a lot about. So yeah. these are, you know, these are like a 25 kilometer diameter uh, balls full of neutrons. And nobody really knows what they are made of. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, it's, yeah. So, it's so they're stuff. big, scary space balls. I'm not sure whether they're scary in that sense, but <laughs> okay. they're... Okay, all right. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're big neutral space balls. Yeah, but, but black holes are much scarier. If you if you land anywhere near the event horizon, you are you're doomed. You're fucked. Okay. Yeah. But so then, less scary than a black hole, but more scary than like a honeybee. I, I mean, for they're, instance, <laughs> they're, they're beautiful. So neutron stars are beautiful because you know yeah? if if two neutron stars crash, so if two black holes crash, it's boring. You get just get another black hole. I don't know. If <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, and, but if two neutron stars crash, you can get energetic bursts of radiation called short gamma ray bursts. Uh-huh. Okay. They're like very highly energetic bursts of radiation. And I heard a woo for short gamma ray bursts. <laughs> I fucking love this show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for whoever... We're also going to go that someone's like, short it. gamma ray bursts, we're like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So if we are able to detect these short gamma ray bursts, that would give us actually some clues as to what forms these neutron stars, what's inside those neutron stars. Okay, so using your gravitational waves discovery and a better understanding, we can maybe learn more about these big, scary space things we don't yet know anything about. Yeah, about absolutely. Yep. Fantastic. Well, I think it's time to throw it up for some audience questions about, yep. well, for the whole panel, really, anybody. So can we get some house slides, please, Georgia? Thank you very much. She's preempting me. Uh, yeah, there's one right in the middle there. <laughs> the question was Has physics heard of the term as small as a bee's dick? So that's how you would measure bees' <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a technical how term. How small is actually, a bee's dick? That we, <laughs> that we use in physics, yeah. Is your mic on? Hey. hey. So it oh, it is. Okay, cool. Um, well, I actually have measured bees' dicks. <laughs> Yes, she has. Yes, she has. Um, because, uh, like, the bees, they're very, like, very similar. And, like, the, sometimes the key diagnostic differences is the, um, the, like, the shape of their genitalia. Cool. And I've actually um, created some really, like, amazing high-quality photos of penises <laughs> using electron scanning microscopes. Oh. There you go. So we've okay. truly seen oh, it all. The smallest of the small and yeah. the giantest of black holes. Yeah, well, uh, Ben here works on dark matter and he can yes. tell you about particles which are much, much smaller than a bee's deck or anything <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> all right, we've got a question down here. Um, hi, so I'm a political scientist, which is sort of a fake scientist. No, you're um, a real scientist too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my question is about uh, one of the outgoings in your ministers of Israel just said that um, they have detected a... I gotta repeat this. (laughs) (laughs) Be gentle. He basically came out and said that Israel and the United States have been contacted by an intergalactic federation Mm. and they Mm. don't know exist, but the rest of the world isn't allowed to know because we're not technologically ready yet. So, has your studies of gravity of those waves given any evidence of intergalactic life? Or if not, what's the most interesting thing? Okay, great question. So let me, let me repeat that. So the outgoing defense, Israeli defense minister says that there are aliens and they've contacted human beings uh, and that Israel and the US know about it, but no one else is allowed to. Have you seen them with gravitational waves and or what's the most interesting thing you've found? <laughs> um, the first answer is no. <laughs> well, unless... Yeah, I mean, that's something you would I've heard something, do. whether... <laughs> what? So you can't be sure it's not aliens. We can't rule it out. Cool, all right. Yeah. Yes, you heard it here it first. <laughs> we can't rule it out. 
Yeah. So there's something called f another buzzword. So fast radio bursts. Yes. How many of you have heard of it? But yeah. anyway, but the big U for FRBs. I love that. <laughs> so, so nobody knows how fast radio. So these are bursts of periodic bursts of uh, radio waves, and nobody knows their origin or how they are formed. So, as with everything, there's an alien explanation for that as well. So maybe there's an alien civilization trying to contact us through fast radio bursts. But as far as gravitational waves are concerned, well, if there's an alien civilization so advanced that they have learned to communicate through gravitational waves, then yeah, maybe there's a chance. But yeah. They're sending pretty boring messages so far, though. All right, if you yeah. want to ask these guys more questions, we're going to have to talk to you after the show because it's time for our fun little game. Before we get to the game, though, uh, do either of you have anything you want to plug for these nice people? I believe, Kit, you had a show that you wanted to yes. talk to them about. Yes. <laughs> So um, I'm not just a scientist, but I'm also a circus performer. So and cool. So cool. We have a show coming up called 80s Mixtape. So if you like Lycra, if you like 80s hits, um, if you like a bit of circus, then we've got our shows 27th of January to the 7th of February. Um, it's a lot of fun and... This is the first time I'm going to be performing as an acrobat, so that's really exciting for me. So definitely come along and see our show. Oh, and I'm tickets are selling out fast. So I will definitely be there. Yeah. Acrobatics. Oh, yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's all look forward to that. Uh, anything anything you'd like to plug? You in any other shows? Uh, my oh. show consists of sitting in front of a laptop all day and staring <laughs> at codes, very long Python codes, and wondering what went wrong. So very if you're cool. interested, join me. <laughs> that's great. I look forward to it. Yeah, we'll see that too. All right, can we please get Nula to the stage to play our fun quiz game, Survival of the Fittest? She's been waiting back there the whole show. <laughs> now we've got the fun LEDs on, so you know it's game time. All right, so here's how this game works. Hello, hi, I am Nula. So today we will be playing Survival of the Fittest, where I pit hosts against guests up against you, the audience, to see who really knows their really random science trivia. Uh, so the way it will work is I have just given our guest team and host team some cards where I will ask some questions and they will have 20 seconds to discuss and write down an answer. During that time, you guys will also be able to discuss and decide on an answer. And then once the time is up, I will first get you guys to vote with whooping and clapping on which answer you think is correct. And then we'll see what you guys wrote down and see who really knows their stuff. And from past experiences, it ain't going to be not, these guys. <laughs> okay, so our first question is two truths and a lie. So I you want us to tell you the lie? Yes, okay. yes, okay. yes. We have fucked this up before. We've messed this up <laughs> so many times. Yeah, Specifically yeah. I need to uh, ask. Yeah. We're like, well, we okay. know that one's true. Put it down. <laughs> okay. A, bold eagles can have sex mid-flight. <sighs> B, echidnas have a four-headed penis. C, goldfish can see infrared and UV light. Three seconds, write down your answer. Write down an answer. Write one down, A, B, or C. 
Okay. 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 Are we good? Okay. All We're right. good. Guests, We're are good. you good? We're good? Okay. okay. Guests. Guests. Guest. I mean, audience. Audience. <laughs> They're the guests. Audience. Okay. Who thinks the lie is A, bold eagles can have sex mid-flight? Oh, Oh, someone's really keen for that one. <laughs> um, okay. What about B, echidnas have a four-headed penis? Uh, <laughs> everyone knows their everyone's checked out the penis of an echidna um, and C goldfish can see infrared and UV light okay I'm going to go with C yeah, as the winner there I think it was C I think okay okay hosts what did you put so disagreeing completely with the audience <laughs> we said B <laughs> there's no way they can have four heads that doesn't make sense this is going to be some shit when Noel's like, actually, it's Bob. So it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> All right, go on. What, what, okay, what? and? <laughs> grab, grab those mics for me. See. <laughs> You're all wrong. What? what? No birds can have sex mid-flight. It's impossible. They have one, four heads on their penis? One yeah, point for that true. one guy. Yeah, yeah well, one that guy. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Okay. So Which bad. of the following is not the name of a chemical compound? Okay. A, cool. Sonic Hedgehog. B, no, you're cheating. B, Homo Simpsonanin. No cheating. C, Pikachurin. Those aren't real. Wow. Well, None of two those of them are real. real. Two of them are real. Two of them are real. Okay, which one? Okay, 20 seconds, go. Can you say them again? A, Sonic Hedgehog. B, Homo Simpsonanin. C. Pikachu. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Everyone got an answer? Yep, Write we're something good, we're down. Good, we're good. Just we're ready. Go with your first instinct. Okay, audience. Who thought that A, Sonic Hedgehog, was not the name of a chemical compound? Woo! Okay, what about B, Homer Simpsoninen? Okay, and C, Pikachurin? Okay, I think wow, that was... that was even. <laughs> yeah, I think it was A. Yeah. I, I think that was A. Okay, <laughs> we'll call it A. Call it A, okay. And what, you guys also said A? We also said A. We said A, I hope it's it. Uh, is it none of them were compound? genes, but I would have taken it. <laughs> so what did you what did you guys put? B. B. You guys are right. I made that <laughs> one. Homer Simpsoninin was my own creation. <laughs> oh. <sighs> we're really bad at this oh, game, it? guys. Okay, one more, one oh, okay. more, one more question. <laughs> okay. Um. Approximately how many nerve endings does the clitoris have? Ooh. A, 25. <sighs> B... That is not enough. 4,200 <laughs> 4, or C, 8,000. Okay, you're only getting 10 seconds for this because we're out of time. Yeah. Okay, we're locked in. Okay, here we go. Approximately how many nerve endings does the clitoris have? Audience, do you think it's A, 25? <laughs> B, 4,200? C, 8,000? 
Okay, up on stage, what do we think? See? Yes. Yes. Only approximately. One of them can be right. <laughs> <laughs> you have both twenty-five and eight thousand <laughs> simultaneously. C. C is correct answer. Yeah! We, did it! we did it! And you all did as well. Okay. Well, thank you so much to our guests and Nuala. We'll dismiss you from the stage now. Thank you very much. You Massive thanks to our guests tonight. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to Cheyenne Chatterjee and Kit Prendergast. Thank you so very, very much. How amazing was that? I learned so much I learned tonight. so much shit. And we're gonna, that's going to do it for us on the show today. So thank you so much for coming down. We hope you've had as much fun and learned as much as we have. It's been great having you here. Great to have our guests. Great to have a little game. Great to have Georgia in the booth crushing it. Thank you, so, Georgia. Yeah, big, uh, big, hands, big hands to Georgia. Um, uh, anything else we need to tell them? Uh, we have a new Twitter account. Yes. It's at... Principal cast. Principal cast. Yes, we looked for all of them. That was the only one we could get. We tried so, every combination. We spent a good hour on There's this. There's an account from 2009 that doesn't exist anymore that is the uncertainty principle. Yeah, so I'm fuck still those salty guys. about it. Yeah, they haven't tweeted in, in like 15 years. Anyway, uh, great. Thanks so much for coming, everybody. Thank you very much. We've had a great time. We hope you have. Uh, you can't come later in the run if you don't have tickets because we're sold out, but we sure hope you enjoyed it anyway. Have a good rest of your evening. We'll Thank see you, you after the show.